Ave Maria Purissima, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, we certainly live in a strange time where practical Catholics end up denying, you can hear it all the time, almost any, any kind of miraculous event in the church. Uh, if you take the old butler's lives of the saints, for example, in the newer edition, and you just pick a saint, uh, you can look and you'll notice that the new edition, say, there'll be a very small column talking about the saint, where the old edition might have a page or more. And why is that? Because the genius editors just took serious out and decided, well, that couldn't happen, and that couldn't happen, and that couldn't happen, and just cut it out. So they deny the miracles of the saints. And of course, uh, they deny the miracles of Christ. The priests are the worst at this. When I was in seminary, uh, virtually every, well, every single guy I asked about it, guys from the States, Canada, and Australia, had heard the same explanation of a gospel. The gospel of the multiplication of loaves and fishes, an explanation that every one of us had heard from different continents even, was that our Lord didn't actually multiply the loaves and fishes. No, what he got everybody to do was to share the stuff they brought with them. You know, like, isn't that sweet? You know, that there's certainly a miracle for you. The people took the stuff out of their backpack and gave it to their neighbor. I mean, it's just idiotic. A priest that says, what does he think he's going to do in five minutes? You know, if, if our Lord can't multiply loaves and fishes, good heavens, what about the consecration? It's just, uh, it's just so idiotic, it, it, it's unbearable almost. Now, the fact that so many men think that believing in miracles nowadays is the same as believing in myths just makes the providential hand of God stand out that much more uh, in our day and age. Because in the age when so many men have so arrogantly denied even the possibility of miracles, God sent us one of the most incredible miracle workers of all time. And that man, that miracle worker, is Padre Pio, whose statue is right there on the epistle side of the sanctuary. So today, as an antidote to this culture of modernism, we'll take a short look at his life and miracles. We're only going to be able to skim the surface uh, to give you some idea of Padre Pio's miracles. Ordinarily, in the cause of the saint, when the case goes forward, there's about five boxes of documents delivered to the Holy See to study and review. But with Padre Pio, there were over 100 boxes submitted of documents. And uh, he's got a connection, in a way, to this community. His, his father came to America to, to pay for Padre Pio to go through school. And he, he came over to the States. And he actually uh, uh, lived in Mahonetown in, in Newcastle. And uh, we had a parishioner at the early mass that grew up with his cousins, the Portionis and Newcastle are cousins to, uh, to Padre Pio. So it's kind of a, a neat thing. He came to the States, he came right over here. So Padre Pio was born in 1887. By the age of five, he was already capable of seeing the invisible realities of the spiritual world. And that ability remained with him throughout his entire life. He could see demons, and they regularly attacked him. One night, some seminarians were staying at the friary, and they heard a terrible noise. They could hear all these iron bars clanging together, and it sounded like a high-speed train going through a tunnel. And in the morning, they found the iron bars that had held up his curtains just twisted all up, and Padre Pio all exhausted from the battle. He said the devil had beat him up because by praying, he prevented the devil from getting one of the seminarians to commit a sin of impurity. 
Now these beatings were unusual. Often the bruises would be visible for weeks. Sometimes he'd beaten up so badly that he actually couldn't see mass. One day, Padre Pio's spiritual director, whose name was Padre Agostino, came into Padre Pio's room and told Padre Pio to give up his penances because God didn't approve of them. So Padre Pio was a bit surprised, and then it occurred to him to do something. He said, all right, Padre Agostino, let's pray together. Blessed be Jesus. And instantly, Padre Agostino disappeared in a puff of stinky smoke because it wasn't actually Padre Agostino at all. It was the devil in a... In a in disguise, in an apparition. Sometimes the devil will take the form of a saint, Saint Pius X, Saint Francis, Blessed Virgin Mary, Christ crucified, but he would appear in all these different guises to Padre Pio. Padre Pio could not only see demons, but he could see angels as well. The friars that lived with Padre Pio would hear him in his cell greet his guardian angel by saying, well, hello, little man. And they could hear him having animated conversations uh, with his guardian angel. His spiritual director, the real Padre Agostino, once tested Padre Pio by writing to him in Greek, even though he knew full well Padre Pio uh, couldn't read Greek. Padre Pio immediately responded to the letter. Then Padre Agostino wrote another letter in French, uh, another language that Padre Pio didn't understand. Padre Pio instantly responded to the letter. And Padre Agostino asked Padre Pio how he could read letters written in strange language, and Padre Pio said, well, my guardian angel explains everything to me. He would tell his penitents that if they were having problems, just to send their guardian angels to him. One penitent said, but Padre, do you listen to him? And Padre Pio says, what do you think, I'm deaf? And uh, we can do that. I do it. I regularly send my angel to him. He's just as available as, as he ever was. Uh, one, one, one story that was kind of funny, and there was a, a couple that were having a really rough night and kind of having a heated discussion. So one had sent their angel to him and the other and so forth. And in the morning he said, can I get any sleep? Can you just get along? Because the angels are showing up every five minutes all night uh, talking about uh, the, the fight the couple's having. Now besides the demons and the angels, Padre Pio could see other things as well. So one night when they're eating in the refectory, he jumped up from supper, ran to the doorway and had a lively conversation with the thin air. When he came back to the table, the other friars asked, well, who are you talking to? And he said, oh, don't worry. He said, I'm just talking to some souls that are on their way from purgatory to heaven. They stopped by here to thank me because I had to remember them at Mass this morning. Uh, he, uh, one day he mentioned uh, that there were more souls of the dead from purgatory coming to his Masses and seeking his prayers and they were living faithful attending his Masses. Now, given the size of the crowds, and if you've ever seen pictures of them, it's pretty amazing. So given the size of the crowds that came to the fire, we can only imagine how many poor souls were at his masses. And there are other masses, too. Just because we can't see them doesn't mean they're not here. It's a great reminder that not just in November, but all the time, especially at Holy Mass, we should remember our beloved dead. They're here, too. We should remember that the memento for the dead at every time at Holy Mass. Remember your dead, those that most need the prayers, and those that are here right now. Because it is a communion of saints, as we profess in the creed. The dead need our prayers. Let's never forget that. But not only could Padre Pio see the demons, the angels, and the poor souls, she could also see the secrets of men's hearts. So one time, two Freemasons decided they were going to really poor, dirty trick. They made up a list of fake sins and were making mockery of confession. 
in order to desecrate the sacrament. Now, when you went to confession of Padre Pigo, you had to take a number. It could take a day, it could take a couple days before your number came up in Japan, because you couldn't just walk in there because the lines were so huge. So you just got a number, and that kept the friars from having to keep everybody in order and solve the fights like who came in first, you had the number. So these guys each get their number. And in both instances, as each one of them begins to confess his lies, he stops and says, shut up. I know what you're doing. You're just setting up time. And he said, uh, he proceeded to tell the Masons, what each one of them, what his real sins were, when, where, and how he committed and with whom. And the result, you know, one guy's in one set of confession, they both come out. We know it from them, by the way, obviously. They just come out stunned, like, uh, you know, this, what have they just encountered, this obvious display of a, a supernatural reality. So they both repented, they converted, and then they made good confession to Padre Pio, became devout Catholics, and we know the story because they have the humility to admit it. Because of this, you know, there's another interesting thing in his confessions. If you read very much on him, you discover that he refused to absolve a lot of people. And the estimation from the people that reported it and the priests that knew uh, that were around there is about a third of the people he'd refused to give them absolution. Why is that? Because one of the things, when you go to confession, there's three things that are necessary. You have to confess your sins. You have to have a firm purpose of amendment. You have to be willing to do the penance. And you can see whether they have the firm purpose of amendment, which generally speaking means they're going to avoid a sin when they're engaging a sin. And he could see right into their heart and see they weren't firmly resolved. So he refused. Tell me to get serious about this. And there was such a grace attached to that kind of approach from Padre Pio that almost every time the people would enter into themselves right away and say, yeah, what have I been doing? I'm, I'm just kind of lying to myself and God, and they change their ways and go make the good confession right away because it just shake them up so much. They'd waited so long to go to confession of the saint. He talked to them and said, you got to get serious. It's beautiful. He loved them. So because of his ability to read hearts, people would flock to He'd spend up to 19 hours a day in the confessional, which is just incredible. So you could see the devils, the angels, the poor souls, and then souls, but that wasn't all. After he'd already been in religious life for a good number of years, Padre Agostino, his director, was amazed to find out that Padre Pio could actually see someone else. What? said Padre Agostino. You see the Blessed Mother? Padre Pio said, well, of course, don't you? And Padre Agostino said, Augustine said, well, of course not. And Padre Pio wouldn't believe him. He said, you're just saying that out of holy humility. He was so otherworldly that it hadn't occurred to him that other people didn't have those experiences. He just thought people didn't talk to, out, of, out of humility, just like his humility. It took a long time for him to realize that Padre Agostino was not kidding him, that he actually didn't see the Blessed Virgin. No, because he didn't know how incredible he really was in a sense of him living in the next life, so to speak. He could see the angels and the souls and the saints, the poor souls, secret of men's hearts, and even the Blessed Mother. What a devotion he had to Our Lady. He used to urge people to say the rosary. He called the rosary his weapon. And he would pray as many as 60 complete rosaries in a day. When someone asked how he could pray that much in a day, he responded, how can you not pray that much? So obviously he could do more than one thing at a time, because he has to say his Mass, he has to say his Divine Office. He's hearing 19 hours of confession 
Nissan 60 Road. I mean, it's just what, what this man did, we're never going to know in this life. It's so amazing. So he could do more than one thing at the same time. But not only could he do more than one thing at the same time, he could be in more than one place at the same time because he had the gift of bilocation. So after losing the battle in World War I and being revealed, relieved of his command, an Italian general decided to commit suicide. And just as he picked up the revolver, a little friar walked in his tent and persuaded him to put down the gun. After the war, the general happened to be visiting the friary in which Padre Pio lived. And Padre Pio walked up and said, General, that was a rough night we had. When he saw Padre Pio, he realized that that was a little friar that had saved him. Now this wouldn't seem so amazing except for the fact the Padre Pio had definitely been in the friary at the very same time. He was many, many, many miles away in that general's tent. There are so many abs different, absolutely undeniable examples of his bilocating. We could spend hours just talking about them. But my personal favorite occurred during World War II. San Giovanni Rotundo, the town in which his friary was located, was selected as a target for Allied bombing but neither the English nor the Americans succeeded in bombing the village. And there's a very good reason for that. Because on the bombing raids, as they're flying there, they saw a friar in the air, waving his hands and directing them to go away. And later, a number of these airmen visited the friar in San Giovanni Rotundo and recognized the friar they had seen in the sky was Padre Pio running around in the clouds. And there were, there were guys, these, some of these guys were alive till at least very recently, World War II there. He had the ability to see the invisible world. He led a life of prayer, he could bilocate, but that's not all. He was on fire with the love of God. He was literally burning hot. Normal medical thermometers would break trying to measure his temperature. Documents attest to the fact that his temperatures would run as high as 125 degrees Fahrenheit. He lived for years on a diet that consisted of several sardines every day and a few crumbs of bread. And he enjoyed, on occasion, choking down a very small glass of beer. He lived like that for years. A couple sardines, a few crumbs of bread, and on occasion, a little tin of beer. Forty days after his ordination, in September of 1910, he received the stigmata, the wounds of Christ. Now at this time, the stigmata were invisible. Eight years later, they became visible, like we see on the statue, and remained so right up until his death, after which time they completely healed with no signs of scarring or damage. He was forbidden from showing them to people at various times, so he actually had an operation where he wouldn't take anesthesia, where they had to do a very serious operation on but he didn't want to do it for fear that he'd be disobedient, the doctors would take the opportunity to look at him. At various times, physicians were permitted, but at that time, he was strictly forbidden. So he took it without you know, serious, serious suffering to make sure nobody could see it. The wounds bled profusely for 50 years without any infection. His hands and feet were completely perforated by the wounds, and they gave off a very pleasant mystical smell, which was described like the smell of a mixture of violets and roses. During the holy sacrifice of the Mass, Padre Pio's wounds bled the most and hurt the most. When someone asked him if his wounds hurt him, he said, Our Lord didn't give these to me for decoration. One last miracle. 
Since Gemma de Giorgio of Liberia, Sicily was born in 1940 without pupils in her eyes, she was completely blind. In 1947, her grandma decided to take the child over to Italy to visit Agapio and ask him for a miracle. She received both her sight and her first communion from Padre Pio. Now the most remarkable thing about all this is that she still had no pupils, and she still sees. She may very well be alive. I know in the beginning of my priesthood she still was. A great number of doctors have examined her eyes and all conclude that given her lack of pupils, she must be blind, yet she sees and has no natural explanation. You can see her. You can, I've actually checked, and she, there are films around YouTube, and it's just uncanny because she has no pupils. You'll watch her walking through Italian traffic. Well, with an assurement tank would be terrifying, and she's just walking along, you know, no eyes, just crossing the streets, etc. Talking, chatting along, leaning, etc. No pupils. And she can see. So, what's the message of Potter Pio for each one of us? In an age where we have so many priests who doubt that 2,000 years ago the Almighty God multiplied loaves and fishes, we have a priest whom the Almighty God would multiply so he could be in one place at the same time. In an age when we have so many people who deny the invisible realities of the spiritual world, we have a priest who regularly had conversations with the angels, the saints, and the poor souls who regularly battle deep devils. In an age where we have so many people who even deny the possibility of miracles, we have men alive today who have seen a Catholic priest running around in the clouds. We have a woman who's been walking around in Sicily without pupils in her eyes and seeing. In an age when we have so many people who deny the reality of the Catholic priesthood, the reality of sin, the necessity of confession. We have a victim priest. Crucified, bleeding and suffering. Suffering for the sins of the world. A priest who could read hearts, spend up to 19 hours a day releasing men from their sins in the confession. In an age when we have so many people who are confused as to whether there is a true church, an age when so many people are confused as to what that one true church is, including many of their hierarchy, whether that true church can even be found and whether it even matters, God sent us one of the greatest miracle workers of all human history to remind us of how much he loves us, to remind us of how horrible sin really is, that it's not a joke, that it's not to be taken lightly, and to point out the way to the one true church outside of which there is no salvation. So what's the message for each one of us? When speaking to a group of laymen about the purpose of life, Padre Pio said, what must I tell you? I too have come into the world, as you have, with a mission to accomplish. I, a friar and priest, have a mission. As a friar, as a Capuchin, is the perfect devoted observance of my rule and vows. I hear a voice within me that persistently tells me, be holy and have a holy influence. 
be holy. And have a holy influence. Is this not the message of Padre Pio for each one of us? Be holy.